everyone. Thanks for tuning in to the Activate podcast. My name is Tommy. I am with Remerge, as you all know. Today we have on the line with us just a fantastic, wonderful, intelligent guest, Dora Trostanetsky, who currently works as Senior Growth and Optimization Manager at SoundCloud. Dora, thank you so much for joining us today. How's it going? Hey, Tommy. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, and thank you for this wonderful intro. I'm, I feel very flattered. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I hope so. Intros are sometimes challenging, so I'm happy I got the right adjectives in front of your name. And no, and you really are wonderful. And we're really excited that you could join us today. Thank you. As is tradition on this podcast, generally when we kind of start our conversation, I think it's super useful for our audience to have a, a sense of who you are and where you come from. So I'd love for you to give us a quick snapshot of your background, quick sense of kind of what your experience looks like, and then what you're up to now. Yeah, happy to do so. So my mobile marketing journey started a bit less than seven years ago. So I started my mobile marketing career in the gaming field. So I worked for area game games back in the days for three years where I was doing performance marketing. And this was the very beginning of mobile marketing where CPIs were low, there was no fraud, things were really much easier to acquire new users. And I was managing their paid acquisition, also working on new game releases together with different teams, design products, uh, business teams. Yeah, and this was the beginning for me in mobile marketing. And three years later, I joined a company called Cure Technologies. It's a former Nokia company where I was taking care of the organic growth of their navigation app uh, called Here We Go. This is when I got introduced to App Store optimization, push notification, in-app messaging. So it was very, very interesting for me. And I specialized mostly in App Store optimization. So... Maybe, let's say, a year and a half into this role, I switched and moved to another department where I was taking care of, this time, B2B marketing, which is pretty different. I was overseeing the smart cities vertical and working with plenty of teams to define a strategy and reach the sales goals. And only recently, I just joined SoundCloud as a growth and optimization manager, where I take care of couple of different things among others, like the user journey, the funnel, like how are we growing our user base and how we ensure the best possible user journey. Awesome. Thank you so much. Super helpful. So I'm clear, right? It sounded like the beginning of your career was a mobile focused role, kind of, right? And then when you went to pure tech, it was, I think, mobile focused, but then you went B2B, which seems maybe a little bit less mobile specifically focused. Yeah. Yes, that's correct. It was absolutely not mobile, yeah. And now you're back in the world of mobile. So you went, it's almost too bad, right? Because you went from a world without fraud and gaming to one that is just full of it. So that must have been a bit of a shock coming back. Let's say they have a bit of a longer history than mobile marketing. They had time to develop different kind of techniques, but it's definitely very different. It is, right? It's just a different landscape. Absolutely. And those are three kind of vastly different verticals that you worked in, right? Gaming, Pure Tech, which was a Nokia company, and now music. Yes. Looking at those three verticals, from my perspective, I look at it and I say, all right, you're advertising to consumers in these roles and the consumer's experience in these three instances is probably vastly different, right? Because they're just completely different products. Very. How important was it for you as a marketer to understand your consumer's behavior? Actually, maybe a better question, like in changing roles, how do you go about learning 
about the consumer journey and how that might impact your marketing? Yes. So it was very interesting. Really, you're absolutely right. All the roles were in a completely different field. So with gaming, and I worked for a company that was making mostly niche games, so not so meant for the broader audience. So there, the audience was very specific. The user journey, I would say, was more in classical for mobile marketing and acquisition. So this was basically for the gaming. But when you move to B2B, it's much more complex. We talk about much longer onboarding cycles. So people, it's, they don't take an instant decision. They have much longer decision-making cycles. A lot of limitations such as budget. There are more than one person involved in the decision. So it's a much longer acquisition user journey in B2B than it is in B2C. Yeah. There's a number of hurdles you'd have to overcome, I guess, in, in B2B marketing. Do you think that because of some of that experience, you've gained a different perception of kind of how we should be marketing? I guess because B2B marketing takes so long to really get someone to make a decision based on your marketing and advertising, do you think that's changed the way you looked at B2C marketing, where maybe it's now more of a, a longer process you look at in terms of engaging with consumers as well? It's funny that you ask this question, by the way, because the answer is yes. I'm super happy that I had this incredible experience in, in B2B. So I have a now completely different perspective of how to look at things. So I've learned a lot of things to B2B that I now apply B2C. So B2B, it's so extremely focused on funnel. It's really like one journey on the acquisition side that it's much longer. And when I apply it to B2C, you actually talk again about the funnel, but the top, the middle and the bottom look completely different, meaning that the middle funnel and the bottom funnel are already in the product because the user journey continues once the person starts using the product. Whereas in B2B, it's really you make all the effort before signing the deal. Because once the deal is signed, it's off your hands and it's a completely different world and universe. And however, in B2C, the user journey doesn't stop with the acquisition. It's really you're working in the product, trying to retain the user, growing your user database and really trying to convert them down the funnel. So your work, it doesn't stop just at acquisition. It continues down the funnel. Totally makes sense. And, and do you think there is a, it sounds like with B2B, right? Like, most of the education of that business consumer happens up front, right? Where maybe with B2C, you almost have to always be educating the consumer on why a product might be valuable to them or why that next step down the funnel is going to drive a better experience for them. Is that maybe the case that there's the education is just almost always happening with B2C products? Yes, it is true. However, I would say the consumer on the B2C side is really more impatient. So they take the decision a little bit more impulsively. Uh, they can take a very quick look on the app store on your app, at your app, and then just look at different quick details, such as what are your screenshots, what exactly are you offering, and then make an instant decision to download the product. So it's much quicker. Whereas for B2B, you have to really spend time. And first, there's going to be an education phase where they find out about your company and then they're going to be a consideration phase where they already heard about you, but now they want to learn more. And then there is a third phase where you really are convincing them to purchase and to convert. So I think in B2B, it's much harder to get the user to purchase whatsoever because it's not like it's not a dollar or two. It's like a much bigger investment. It's a long-term investment. So you really need to think about it. Whereas with B2C, the decision can be much quicker. And that's the very big difference. At least the initial decision, right? At least like the decision to download a product seems like it's not necessarily impulsive, but it requires far less education again, because 
most downloads, there is no monetary value associated with that action, right? You're not really asking too much of the consumer. But after that download happens, then it's a matter of, for you, determining how can I continue to get them down the funnel? How can I get essentially my acquisition strategy to align with my retention strategy and align with my education strategy, et cetera? Is that kind of accurate? Yes, absolutely. Your work is not done with the download. It it actually just it just begins. Once the person is in your product, this is where the true work begins. And this is how you try to drive them through the funnel and trying to retain, to get engaged and like your product. And only then you can convince them to convert into paying users. Of course. And because it's so multifaceted, right? Because it requires so many different steps of the B2C product to get someone down that funnel. Do all those steps fall on the responsibility of the, we'll call it user acquisition or mobile marketing manager, or does it require that you take a broader approach in the sense that you enlist the efforts of multiple teams in order to align on the strategy to drive users down the funnel? This is the whole challenge. I think that when I say that this applies to many companies is that you have to involve quite a few teams. It should be a joint effort. So the thing is that each team has their own focus. So let's say marketing has the acquisition focus. They're looking to bring people into the product and then the product teams, they would like to ensure the best user experience and then make you stay. And then the business group has this objective of converting users, making them pay. So all this different groups of people, they have different kinds of objectives. So, however, it's extremely important that they work together. And this is, I think, the whole point of being a growth marketeer is that you have to work through the funnel and working through the funnel means you have to work with different teams. So you have to work a lot with the product team and you have to bring a couple of aspects that the product is not necessarily looking into and then try to bring uh, a few important things on the roadmap. And that's not necessarily always easy. And on the other hand, we have the CRM teams. So the CRM teams are really helping out with the push notification, with in-app messaging. And this needs to be in line with what the product is doing. Because imagine if everybody's sending a push notification here and there from the different groups, the user journey might not be ideal. So you have to really try to connect the dots. And this is not obvious, but ideally you should work together with all the different teams and yeah, everybody should align towards the same goal. Is it really difficult to achieve that alignment? Like, do you find that each team kind of has their own agenda that arrives them loosely at or directly at the idea of making more money for the company, but those agendas are, are really challenging to get in the same place? Is that one of the challenges you might face? Yes. So I think everybody keeps in mind the goal of making like money, revenue and converting. <laughs> yeah, right. That's the, that's the point of it all. But of course, they don't look at the same metrics. I mean, the product team will look into the quality of the application and how the user is retaining and what are the features they're offering. So you might lose sight sometimes of this very end goal of revenue. And I think that's fine because revenue is extremely important, but it shouldn't be the only goal. It should be the logical ending, so to say, of the journey or the continuation of the journey. It's not an end in any way, but... The end goal is obviously conversion, but we should not forget this very important previous middle funnel that I call it, like where the onboarding is happening, when the retention is happening, when you really explain the product, educate the user inside of the product, how to use it. This is extremely important. So yes, teams do have different point of view of thing, like on things. They do things differently. And this might create discrepancies of like 
Yeah. Who is doing what at the end? Totally. I mean, it sounds like you said, you know, revenue is, yeah, the primary objective, but it can't be your sole focus, right? Because then you might not build an actually strong product, right? And more importantly, you might forget customer experience by only focusing on revenue to some degree. One question that I actually have never asked anyone, which I kind of find interesting is when you guys are trying to align, there's an overarching theme here of you're kind of aligning on how can we get consumers down the funnel, right? Does consumer feedback play into your strategy at all? Do you reach out to people who use or have you reached out to people who have used any of your products to say, hey, what are your feelings on the product? We noticed you haven't done actions A, B, or C. Is there a particular reason why? Is that a part of kind of the strategy for mobile marketers right now? Yes, absolutely. That's an absolute must, actually. If you don't understand your user, you don't know really what you're doing, what you're offering. So there are two, two ways of doing this that I encountered so far, and I think this is great. It's One is the consumer research where you interview people about their, let's say, habits, like really connected to your product, what they generally like, what they don't like, what they're listen to for example if it's about music what is their favorite genres why why would they use this particular service it's like really trying to understand how a user thinks and on the other hand we have a ux experience where you can really get people to the room and ask them for this particular app what do you like about it what do you dislike about it is there anything that bothers you in particular so it can really give a hint about like what can be changed, what can be improved, and how does the consumer think. So they're extremely important interviews to understand the user. There, You can do both uh, qualitative analysis and more quantitative analysis, and then match both and see if you see a pattern and if they're similar. But this for me, it's like an absolute base that you need to have to start building a really successful product is understanding how the user thinks. Yeah. And that's challenging, right? Because it is a matter of marrying sometimes anecdotal experiences with what your data is actually showing you, right? Which sounds like it could be challenging for a lot of marketers. It is, it is. It's, it, once you talk to these people, you try to map it really in your, like with tracking and with events and try to kind of build clusters and you want to find this digital footprint that you're hearing in the interviews. You want to find it also in the data. And this is not always so obvious. It depends a lot on your tracking. Do you have uh, multi-touch tracking? Can you cluster users the way you want to cluster them? It's really about your capabilities within the product to track this kind of behaviors. But ideally, that will be the case. When you say cluster users, can you explain a little bit what you mean by that? Well, finding people with the same pattern and the same behavior is really trying to identify a group of people that has something in common. You know, people, for example, that like to follow artists, like they really want to support artists. That's important for them. So if you manage to understand these different groups of people, you'll be able to talk to them in a more personalized way and then really address them and answer their needs. And this is very crucial for retention, for example. Personalization, you think, is a huge part of retention? Yes, absolutely. The more personalized your message is, the better it is. Obviously, this is the challenge is like really identifying these groups of people and what would resonate best with them. This is really sounds a bit easier than it actually is. Yeah, no, I can totally imagine that. And is it a challenge to, because when I think personalizing through retention, right, I immediately, my head kind of goes to push notifications, email, maybe retargeting campaigns. Is it important that in your retention that you have a unified yet personalized kind of message across all those platforms or do you find that you speak to your consumers differently on email than you might through push? Yeah, so it depends on your capabilities, I think. If you have the technical capabilities, 
obviously this your question makes me think about in general the user journey in the funnel and it needs to be seamless it needs to be not extremely different from each other right so we might have like slight differences here and there and more personalized content but the overall message should resonate with your general audience so yep and the end goal is that through this approach and, and by having kind of a, I guess you could call it like a single brand voice, but with a personalized touch across all these platforms that eventually you'll, you'll inhibit growth and, and that people will actually go through that funnel and, and make purchases within your app, right? Which might require that you look at growth as kind of a long-term process to agree within all this, right? Because it sounds like you're collecting data, you're potentially, again, we're talking like both qualitative and quantitative data, getting those to match each other, then segmenting or clustering audiences into like groups, and then turning all of that, that we'll call a massive pile of data in the end, into actionable things, and then monitoring that over a long period of time. So it takes a kind of a long vision of growth, right? Yeah, absolutely. And and I'm a big fan of like more the long-term strategy when it comes to growth. So obviously you can have some quick wins here and there, but you shouldn't try to fix independently something through the funnel and thinking, oh, I'm just going to improve now this particular part of my funnel and then not care about the rest because you actually might be harming more the user experience than you think. And you might say, oh, now I can give them the option to choose from ABC and then this will help me to know them better. But then the user will expect something in return, for example, a better product experience. And if you're not capable of giving this, you're actually completely disappointing the user. So you have to be very careful and thoughtful when you think about quick wins. It's like, is it really a quick win or is it going to harm you in the long term? So you should really look into it like more a long-term strategy, map it out and think through the entire journey before you do anything, gosh, you know, like very quickly. And when it comes to performance-based advertising, right, which is the world that we all live in to, a, I think, a reasonable extent, my opinion is that because we're, a lot of performance-driven marketers that it's, it's kind of easy to look at things in a kind of smaller, narrower, shorter window because we expect data very quickly. We expect a testing budget to yield X number of installs, which yields X number of subscriptions very, very quickly. It sounds like it, maybe that isn't always the right way to look at things, right? And that you have to kind of look at things at a more macro level in order to really understand the value of a particular new piece of technology or a big UI change that you've made. Yeah, so I guess it depends very much on, on your business. For subscription-based business, it's very challenging because let's say you acquire a user and this user, it's a free user for quite some time and you you don't know exactly when they convert through the funnel. And then let's say they become a paid user, but they decide not to stay very long because nowadays the users have so much choice. They can change platforms effortlessly. It's completely effortless for them. So you have to count every time for what's your maximum period of time that these people will be paid users before they churn. And this is really, really hard, really very difficult for a subscription-based business. If you're, however, a business where you have an instant purchase, let's say e-commerce, it's a much faster conversion, right? It's a purchase that happens immediately. You don't have to like wait months for it after you serve the ad. And yeah, it's, it's a pretty different experience. So I think that for performance marketing, it's extremely challenging when you have a subscription-based business to really understand how much money it's worth investing in something and for what you're getting back. Yeah, that totally makes sense. And you brought up the idea of choice, right? And essentially competition, right? Do you find that because of competition, you are, your teams are somewhat constantly trying to protect yourselves against 
people going to different platforms? And if so, like, how do you even protect against consumers going somewhere else? Is it just a matter of bringing more value to their experience or is it a pricing thing? What is that? How do you make those decisions? Yes. So there are different stages for, um, where the decision is made. We can talk about an initial decision before even deciding to go for your product, like downloading an app. And we can talk about once the user is inside of your product and then decides to leave it for another one or like, how do you retain the user? So on one hand, if we talk about acquisition, and this makes me think immediately about app store optimization, you have your competitors that can bid on your brand name, and then you can have all the time ads on top of your organic results. And this really works. I mean, I've seen it with my own eyes. They, they really get quite a bit of traffic out of this that was actually meant for your brand, because let's say people type your brand name and then they don't see you as a first result. They see your competitor appear in the top result. And this naturally will drive away some percentage of your users and they will go to the competitor. So on that stage, this is very dangerous. And that, that's why the importance of really monitoring all the time your app store presence and what the competitors are doing and are they running any ads against you. So this is very important. And then on the other hand, once you have the user and this user is still, they can go in any time. They can have a different preference, change their mind, I don't know, have a better plan elsewhere. And this is where you really have to work on your unique like added value for the user, like something that you offer that others don't. So it sounds easier than it actually is, obviously, but you really have to work on what are the unique features that you have, or is there some kind of technique that you use? Maybe maybe you have an extremely social ad and people, once they're connected, they find it hard to leave for one reason or another, just because they have a community there. So we really have to think from both perspectives, like acquisition, but also from the retention side, like how do you keep your user downloading and staying into your app? Of course. The acquisition example you gave almost sounds like a catch-22. Like there's almost nothing, you can, like in the case of ASO, right? Where on the one hand, someone searches for your brand and then competitors come up in the ad placement. That's annoying, right? The alternative to that is you paying for that ad placement yourself, which also then means that you're paying for installs that would have happened organically. That's true. So it's kind of like, it's almost like a lose-lose situation to a degree. Is that at all accurate? I, I don't know if that's maybe not the right way to look at it, but it feels like there's not like a, a really strong solution for fighting that other than just paying for it yourself. Yes, this is true. I mean, there is no other solution other than you paying for protecting your brand. I mean, this is something that we see all the time with SEM on desktop. People do pay to protect your brand name. And this is you pay a price. Now, the good news is that since people typed your brand name. So they were already looking for you. So if you're paying for to protect your brand, you're going to have such a great conversion rate because you're so relevant to the search that the cost per acquisition might be much lower. So it will be quite low. So it's I would see it as a investment that it's worth it. I would definitely go for it just to avoid the competitors stealing your traffic. As someone who's not, I don't know a ton about ASL, right? And this is kind of just more of a mechanical question. Are you able to determine what keywords drove what installs for you in, in your ASO campaigns? Yes, this is possible through the different app store optimization tools out there. Some of them offer this possibility. It's really to see what you get. It's an estimation. So what do you get out of a keyword? So when a person types a particular keyword, like how much of the traffic is coming to you? So this is possible thanks to this ASO tools. I just find it so interesting that you have to protect your own brand and then you got to pay for it and you got to pay for those installs. And 
I guess from macro level, like when I, the reason I asked that was because I figured it would be difficult to really determine the value of ASO unless you could segment it by keyword. Otherwise, if, let's say 80% of the volume of the installs you get from ASO is just in protecting your brand, then you might not actually know how valuable ASO is to you in general. But I doubt that's the case, actually. No, that's not the case. I mean, they even if people who bid on your brand, they, they do get some of the traffic, but the majority of traffic still remains for your original brand. So, and actually talking about absolute optimization is one of my favorite topics. I really like, like, like this topic. And I was having recently this conversation regarding bigger brands that are doing it. So, and, and the question usually, and I'm getting this question as well, like why would a big company that already has so many downloads organically, why would they do ASO? Like, because ASO won't bring them in percentage, like much higher, much, like a big increase for each keyword because they're already ranking so well for the majority of the relevant keywords. And, and it was a different, uh, interesting discussion because we were discussing that app store optimization goes beyond that. It's really giving you like the best view of what's going on on the market right now. You understand better your competitors. You're aware of every single change they make and what are the latest trends. And for example, you see if competitors are bidding against you and then you can do something about it. So it's really giving you this visibility that otherwise you don't have unless you spend your entire day browsing the store and trying to figure out things yourself. But by using ASO tools, it's just so helpful to be aware of things that otherwise it's much harder to find. So there's definitely value. Yeah, it gives you more of like, a, and again, this is coming from someone who knows very little about ASO, but it sounds like it gives you kind of more of a 360 degree view of kind of what's happening, not just for your particular brand, but in the ecosystem. Whereas say an ad campaign, it's kind of insular in its nature, right? Especially when it's not on like a, it's generally insular, right? You only have the, the statistics for your own campaign. You only have an idea of where your ads are showing and what people are doing with, with your brand itself, as opposed to your competitors. Yes. And beyond even that, you can look more in more aggregated way at more also going more into details when it comes to ratings and reviews, which are an amazing source of information, not only for keywords and how people think and talk about things, but also what do they like about your app? What do they don't like about your app? So it really helps you to understand better your user. It's very beneficial across the company for also different teams. So this is also one of the benefits of using an ASO tool. It's really dig into the data and get the maximum information you can at the shortest time. So you don't spend all your day looking through the app store, but really you have the data there directly. Yeah. Well then question, let's say hypothetically, right? You started your own company and you got investment and part of that investment was for media buying of some nature. Is ASO the first place you would go with it? Let's say it's an app, obviously the company, it's a predominantly an app company, maybe even a subscription app. Like would ASO be your first stop? The good thing about ASO, it doesn't cost you much. <laughs> you know, it's organic, so. But you'd also have to bid on the keywords, right? Which is something that we had touched on, right? Is protecting your brand. And yeah, you can go for the paid part of ASO, like the ASA. Yes, you can do that. So I would say you should do it anyway, in any case, regardless of how, if you're big or small, because it can really benefit you at any level. Now, if you're really starting, I think that also adding to the mix some paid would be a good idea to just kind of gain traction because you can imagine with all the competitors on the market, you're invisible, especially when you start, unless you have a extremely viral product. This happens sometimes, very rarely, but it does. 
And yeah, so beyond only doing ASO, which I think it's always a good idea, also doing some paid and why not ASA to kind of get out there and people see you and download and then rate you because once they start rating and commenting and reviewing you, this is, and ideally they should review five stars, minimum four, and then this can create, accelerate your growth because more people will see it and then they will gain confidence that since it's all rated, they have to have it and try it at least etc etc so i think paid and organic should definitely coexist if you want to become a little bit more known absolutely on the topic of ratings how challenging is it to get someone to rate your app and then i know when i use apps and let's say i use it pretty frequently i get reminded every once in a while hey will you rate this app today or something like that is that the only strategy marketers and i guess product developers and retention specialists or whoever is that really the only tool they can use to get people to rate their apps or are there other ways, ways to get people to give you a rating? Yeah, so first of all, when you ask people to rate you in the application, so we have this prompt that asks you if you like their app. And then if the people say, yeah, yeah, I like it, then you get another message, would you rate this in the app? It should happen. This is actually a very, it's good to do it so that you avoid bad ratings uh, eventually. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or even better, like that, that people can send you personally their feedback if they're not happy with something so you can work on it. But ideally, this should happen at the moment in the application where the user already used your product for a while, like not immediately, because this is sometimes the case that you get an immediate request to write their, their application and you're, you know, you don't know it so well, you're, you don't feel very engaged in it. it. You don't feel like it's not your favorite app yet for you to make this extra effort. So for me, it should really come at the right time in the funnel, like really when the, the user is engaged you have the impression they're using the product and they probably like it if they use it, then you can ask them to rate. And this is the most efficient way. It's like really ask them while they use it to rate your application. No, it totally makes sense. And it's kind of interesting, right? Because we use the word funnel the whole time, which makes sense. That's like the standard term for a lot of what we're talking about here, right? But it's almost like it's pretty circular in a way, right? Because you have to get users to a certain point down the app, right? In the funnel to the point where they actually are willing to rate the app. And then we get the ratings in order to help increase kind of top of the funnel activity. So it kind of feeds itself once if you have yes. an appropriate funnel developed. Absolutely. You see how everything is connected. The entire funnel, it's, <laughs> it influences every part of the funnel. That's why it's so important to look through the entire user journey and not just focus on top or middle or bottom, but really look at it, the entire funnel and see and experience what the user sees uh, what is he receiving or she? So really, it is very important to look in the entire funnel. None of these parts are independent of each other. They all kind of benefit and work together. No, they're all interconnected. Absolutely. Awesome. Well, the last question I like to ask everyone who comes on this podcast is probably the one you'd expect, and that's kind of looking towards the future. Literally, it can be about any topic in the world, ideally about mobile. But is there anything that you think is on the horizon or any big changes or products or, or anything that you're excited about when you look towards the future? I honestly speaking just came back to, to mobile marketing one and a half months ago. So I haven't had the chance to think about so much what the future reserves. Things haven't changed that much in this time when I was doing B2B. Now that I come back, I see that many of the things are obviously changed, but still keeping the same course. And things are getting tougher and tougher for marketers. It's like what I notice more and more is that the users are like products that are very easy to use. They don't have to 
think about too much about the next action or or read too much or be bothered because they have such fast-paced lives and they everything should be very well thought. So I think the UX experience is anyway already important, but it's going to become even more important. And then acquiring users would be even more challenging and keeping them. I think keeping them would be the hardest part. It's really making them loyal and not going somewhere else because currently people are having like, let's say one type of app, but so they have a couple of apps that have the same purpose with slight differences. So how do you keep them happy through the journey? So I see this getting more and more complex and marketeers needs to be more and more creative and really try to think how to improve before the change even happened on the consumer side. So this is my impression for now, but yeah, I can give a better better perspective in a couple of months. No, that was wonderful. That was super helpful. And at the end of the day, if you have a really strong, full funnel kind of mobile marketing growth stack and engagement and retention stack, then you should be able to fight a lot of kind of those future tendencies we might see from consumers. But at least that's my impression based on our conversation. Yeah, let's hope for the best. <laughs> yeah. Well, Dora, thank you so, so much for joining us today. It's really been an absolute pleasure. I'm sure everyone got a ton out of this and we really genuinely appreciate all your time and consideration. Thank you so much, Tommy. I enjoyed very much our conversation. Have a wonderful day. All right, we'll thank talk to you. you soon. Bye. Talk soon. Bye-bye.